Welcome to a new episode of The Investigation. I'm your co-host, Chris Vlasto, senior executive producer here at ABC News. And I'm joined today by our guest co-host, Matt Mosk, one of our senior investigative reporters here on the task force. We're joined by the co-founders of Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritsch. Their new book, Crime in Progress, Inside the Steel Dossier and the Fusion and GPS Investigation of Donald Trump is out today. And we welcome both of them here to the investigation. Before we begin, I've uh, obviously had a lot of guests that I've known for 20 years, and I must disclose that I've known Glenn for about those 25 years when we began as reporters in Washington. But let me ask you about this book. You guys have remained quiet for most of the time since the dossier first came out, and this is the first time you've actually talked about your experience. When you set out to do the dossier, what was the purpose of it? The story of the dossier is actually of a long investigation that began in September of 2015 and had nothing to do with Russia originally. We were asked to look into Donald Trump's business history and business career, and the book describes this at some length, uh, and it was uh, actually an assignment from the Republicans to research Donald Trump's business career. Over the first seven or eight months of this work um, during the Republican primaries, we kept coming across um, weird connections to Russia uh, and Russians. You were hired by the Republicans to do this dossier. Right. What, Peter? Well, I was just going <clears> to <throat> correct the record there a little bit. We weren't actually hired to do a dossier. Okay. Um, and we didn't do a dossier. Uh, that was work conducted by Christopher Steele after a whole nine-month investigation into some of the matters that – Glenn just mentioned. Well, so the dossier is actually a collection of memos that came in starting in June of 2016 and um, all the way through to the end of the election and even past. Um, so as this information came in and as our own research took place, you know, we began to identify things that we thought were newsworthy um, and concerning about the Trump campaign and the activities of the government of Russia. So for example, um, we came across uh, Carter Page, who surfaced in some of Chris's memos. He was a Trump campaign advisor. Uh, he seemed to be a, um, uh, a, Rus- a Russophile, someone who really loves Russians and Russia, goes there a lot, um, and also seemed to be kind of suspicious. He, um, he didn't really have the credentials to be a Trump campaign advisor. And one of the first things he did was he went over to Russia and was given this very prestigious speaking engagement. So we thought that merited further investigation and that somebody might even want to interview him. And, and that's sort of how we brought it to Matt. I think part of the question Chris is asking, and I, and I think people really don't fully appreciate or understand, is what was the purpose of these memos that became the dossier? A lot of people, you know, the Republicans call it the dodgy dossier. It's attacked for whether it's fully true or whether it's been verified or not. Maybe just explain what it was that Chris Steele was doing for you guys when he prepared this. Well, the original assignment was um, ask around in Russia if you can figure out why Donald Trump keeps going to Russia uh, and never coming back with a business deal. And the assumption behind that um, was he must be having problems finding an an adequate business partner, uh, someone that isn't corrupt or – you know, there's some other problem. He's been mixed up with the wrong people there. 
That was what we were asking him for. Um, we did not go into it suspecting there was a conspiracy. Yeah, so so we focus on public records. Having spent the better part of nine months trying to exhaust that record, we're former journalists, so we're we're kind of omnivorous in our interests and abilities. Glenn covered a lot of money laundering. I spent a lot of time as an editor and reporter in which we dealt with money laundering issues. But anyway, I wouldn't call, call us experts per se. What we are good at is finding open source and public record information. You know, unfortunately, those avenues aren't as available to you in Russia. They don't have a very robust FOIA law, it turns out, in in, in um, <clears throat> Moscow. So, you know, we needed to actually make some human inquiries. One of the things you lay out in the book, and I think you were alluding to this a little bit, Glenn, is when you started looking at this, what you saw was a lot of Russian investment in Donald Trump's business activities without any explanation for why that was. Is that fair? That's exactly fair. I mean, the the, the term that we coined during this period was, it's not clear that Donald Trump invested in Russia, but it's definitely clear that Russia invested in him. Um, and that was the weird thing. And it took a lot of time and um, research to sort of get a coherent understanding of what was going on. I, I mean, one of the things that neither of us ever covered really was real estate. And so a lot of this was an interesting journey into the real estate industry and a gradual discovery of just how much foreign money has poured into American real estate. One of the most interesting things that I remember seeing early on was actually in Tim O'Brien's book where he talks about Trump Tower being one of the rare buildings, if not few buildings in all of New York, that allowed foreign LLCs um, to invest in condominiums and, and real estate in New York. So what happened? Well, the Russian mobster and a number of others set up shop in Trump Tower to the, to the extent where they ended up running a, a poker ring. Looking back, you didn't get much traction during the campaign. This, all this information seemed to then get more traction after he got into office. Well, Is that fair or it's, not? I wouldn't quite agree with that characterization. Um, it depends on what you mean by this. So there were a lot of stories about Donald Trump's suspicious associations, uh, his connections to you know bad people like Paul Manafort, who was actually fired in August of 2016 for his involvement in suspicious activities in the former Soviet Union. So you know a lot of stuff happened and a lot of stuff came out. What but I'm is, saying the dossier itself. Right. So what you're referring to is the fact that we talked to reporters, we briefed uh, some national security and investigative reporters on Chris's findings um, before the election uh, without the expectation that they would actually publish anything from those briefings. We had concluded by September, October of 2016 that there was a national security emergency. It felt like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor. And we wanted to talk to people and raise their awareness about that. But it wasn't didn't really have a, a, a campaign or a PR goal at that time. The national security emergency, in a nutshell, was what? It was a digital Pearl Harbor. I mean, the government of Russia attacked our political system, um, you know, first and foremost. And people didn't understand that. They didn't even understand what the goal of it was. The intelligence community was saying, and the FBI was saying, ah, you know, they're just trying to cause chaos, right? And we we had information that no, they're trying to elect someone to president of the United States. Whether or not he's he's colluding with them, that was their goal, right. and that was what Chris and, found. And we had credible information from the former head of the chief Russianist of MI6. I mean, there is not a better credentialed person to actually 
tell you that he's you know concerned about something. But if we fast forward though, and then look at Bob Mueller's findings that basically looked at that document, it did not go as far as as Chris Steele's reports did. Bob Mueller has no jurisdiction in Russia. You know, this is a uh, this is a counterintelligence inquiry that you're describing. It wasn't actually part of his remit. I mean, you know, he, he's not really able to go to Russia and get to the bottom of a lot of, you know, the ev- that's where the evidence was. He, what he said was that there was not enough evidence to charge a criminal conspiracy, uh, but he spent many thousands of pages laying out plenty of evidence that there was a conspiracy. He just said he couldn't charge it. He said over 140 contacts between the Trump campaign and the Russians, uh, extensive secret meetings, secret dealings. Uh, some of it business dealings. Donald Trump was trying to do a business deal in Russia in the middle of the campaign. And those are things that are essentially in the dossier, right? A lot of the dossier focuses on the fact that Donald Trump has these business associations. But then the dossier spends some time talking about some things that we haven't seen bear out fully at this point. Number one, did Michael Cohen go to Prague? Where do we stand on that question? I mean, it's, it's unresolved. Uh, if you look at the Mueller report, Mueller report reports what Michael Cohen told him. Michael Cohen in the year 2019, 18, 17, when all these inquiries are being made, this is the digital age. You can fulsomely account for your whereabouts if you choose to, and he's chosen not to. Not only that, but I mean, he sued us for libel in 2017 for this allegation. And then two weeks later, his office was raided by the FBI. Um, and now he's in jail for lying. So, you know, so you all are sticking by that allegation. We're sticking by the credibility of Chris's reporting. You know, obviously we know some things about some of the the placement of some of his sources which we're not going to talk about, but we believe it's credible. And Whether it's true or not is another matter. And you'll forgive me for being crass, but that so there is another piece of this which is the so-called P-tape, which is an allegation in the dossier that the president was compromised, filmed in a in a compromising situation at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Moscow in 2013. What do you what do you now, with the benefit of time, make of that allegation? Um, well, so a couple of things to say. One is that when it came in, um, it was obviously a hot potato um, and also something that I didn't really focus on that much because it was unprovable. Right. I mean, it was the kind of story that you just can't prove it. And it's going to cause trouble if you start talking to people about what you've heard, because, you know, you just cause controversy. Um, since it came out against our will and without our consent, um, a lot of interesting things have happened. Most interesting is James Comey's account of his discussions of the P-tape with the president, in which the president said – this couldn't be true because at first he said, I couldn't be true because I didn't spend the night in Moscow, right? That turned out to be wrong. I, we would call that a lie. Um, he said it can't be true uh, because I'm a germaphobe. We weren't emphasizing the, the salacious, uh, quote unquote, material. We were, were trying to emphasize the headline finding, which was that, you know, there is a body of evidence that suggests Donald Trump is compromised by Russia and that you should look into that. And do you think, though, that has proven to be true? Yes. Um, In the sense of his compromise, that he's compromised. So Chris is very articulate on this. Um, It's really his specialty more than anyone's. Compromise doesn't refer to sexual blackmail. Sexual blackmail could be compromise, but there are many other forms of compromise. 
essentially compromises a shared secret. Something I know about you that you know, I know, right? Like that you're sleeping with your neighbor's wife, right? Or that you uh, robbed a bank, right? Um, if it's a shared secret, if I have something on you, that's compromise. And um, that was the real point of the memos, and that has turned out to be true. Donald Trump was doing a business deal in Russia in 2016 that was a secret from the American people. Compromise is leverage. Right? But do you think it showed when when the president was with Putin in Helsinki? I mean, you're kind of experts in this. What did you think when you saw that? Did this I, I mean, validate I, your reporting? It, it, well, the one thing you can say about everything Donald Trump Trump does and says about Russia is consistent and consistently supportive of the goals of, the, of Vladimir Putin, whether it's driving a wedge between NATO and eschewing the you know foundational transatlantic you know mandates of Article Five, or whether it's Syria, right? So he is he is he is serving Donald Trump. Excuse me, he is serving Vladimir Putin loyally. But and, do you think and it's Helsinki because, but, was a reflection right? Of that. But do you think he's more impressed with strongmen? I mean, if you no, see, no, this is this is specific to Putin. I mean, obviously that he does have an affinity for dictators, right. um, but th- this line of behavior is so far beyond that that, and, and we talk about this at the end of the book. Um, I remember that period really well. I just arrived in Aspen for the annual security conference, and everyone's there: the DNI, the FBI, the CIA. Everyone was absolutely blown away, stunned, and it was a it was a classic example of this pattern that has been repeating itself where Donald Trump himself continues to raise the issue of what is his secret relationship with Vladimir Putin. And so we talk about in the book, this issue is not going to go away as long as Donald Trump is in the White House because it's going to, he's going to keep going back to it and making us concerned that there's something going on here that we don't understand. Compare Donald Trump's behavior and his language when it comes to other strong men like Kim Jong-un. One day he's little rocket man. The other day he's his best friend. He writes beautiful letters and he's, you know, another stable genius, I guess. But I defy you to find anything critical like that about Vladimir Putin. It's not there. The whole attacks on your work over the last three years must have come with a personal price, right? I mean, even for your safety, for your families and et cetera. I mean, was that – did that affect your life? It's been very costly personally. I mean, you know – in both of our families, just a lot of kitchen table conversations about are we safe? Um, is it, are we going to be okay? Um, and yeah, that really weighs on you. Um, and it is really, I think, brutal for both of us personally. And we don't really like to complain about it that much because um, it comes with the territory. We kind of signed up for this adventure. So there's certainly no off ramp. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the impeachment of Donald Trump and how their dossier is being used. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, senior executive producer here at ABC News. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Mosk. Today, we have the two authors of a book called Crime in Progress, Inside the Steel Dossier and the Fusion GPS Investigation of Donald Trump, which is out today. Now, what's going on? We're about to have an impeachment of the president. And what centers around this is the Ukraine. What do you make of this, Peter? I mean, Ukraine is uh, the past's prologue, right? I mean, they have spent the better part of three years obfuscating and trying to wrongfoot people from discovery of what actually happened in 2016. And now they're creating another false narrative 
uh, about how the taproot of the dossier and all the compromise is actually Ukraine. Uh, it's 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 false and it's laughable. It is, um, <clears throat> but it's also literary in a way because this story really starts in Ukraine, particularly for us. I mean, Peter and I worked together in Brussels in the mid two thousands. And my introduction to Paul Manafort was when I wrote a story about his activities in Ukraine and raised the question about whether they were violating the U.S. US lobbying laws. Um, So when Manafort comes back on stage in 2016, this is why we know so much about him. Um, It appears that a lot of this conspiracy theory that has gotten the president in so much trouble was was, uh, conduited to him via, via Paul Manafort and his associates. Um, so in that sense, um, there's a sort of a unified field picture emerging here and Ukraine is in it from the beginning to the end. But listen, but, a big player, but a big player in this new impeachment is Rudy Giuliani. And before we get into it, I know that you had an instance that you ran into Rudy Giuliani because he went after you. Glenn, he right. he has accused you of going to the Ukraine. You confronted him in an airport, and what did he say? The the origin of this is actually uh, back in the spring when he went uh, and publicly accused us of setting up the notorious Trump Tower meeting between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Um, and that's a that's a lie, and he knows it's a lie because it's been thoroughly investigated for years. Um, so that was the first whopper lie, and um, then the more recent one is the idea that we uh, doctored up the dodgy dossier in conjunction with the Ukrainian intelligence services in 2016 and that I was spending time there uh, doing that and that we also framed Paul Manafort around the same time. Uh, these are some, some extravagant conspiracy theories that have zero factual basis. So I ran into him on the shuttle flight, the American shuttle from uh, New York to D.C. and um, – I decided that I would have a word with him. Completely, and this is a chance encounter at the it, airport. It's so random. I, I like literally bought my ticket at the airport. I was going to take the train home, and then I remembered I had parked my car at the airport. So we're we're sitting there in first class, and um, you know, I'm just thinking about all this stuff. And uh, during the flight, I decided that I would get my phone out and have a word with him. And you know, I didn't it was, it was polite. You, you can tell it on the tape. Um, but I just wanted to get his reaction um, to being informed that his story is complete BS. Did he recognize you or did you go up to him? No, this Does is not – Does he know this, you? No, he doesn't. So this is not on the tape but it is actually one of the best moments. Is, uh, <clears throat> I went up to him and I said, Mayor Giuliani, my name is Glenn Simpson. I'd like to shake your hand. We shook hands. He said, Glenn Simpson. That Glenn Simpson? I said, yes, that Glenn Simpson. I have a question for you. Uh-huh. What would you think if I told you I'd never been to Ukraine? Hmm. Okay. Guess I'll have to look into that. And then he went and tweeted the whole thing um, like half an hour later. Uh, and he's like, Glenn Simpson says he's never been to Ukraine. But what about Nellie Orr? And, blah, 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 blah. and just like, you know, it's the what about thing. Like, as soon as you, as soon as you shoot down one of their weird, you know, allegations, they just cook up a different one. But the other interesting thing about that is and the reason Glenn had the courage to challenge him is he had been on Glenn Beck you know, an hour right. or two earlier making this false claim about Glenn being in Ukraine, <clears throat> which we all sent to on you know a shared communication channel. So Glenn is literally sitting behind Rudolph Giuliani while he's reading that. 
obviously this narrative of the Republicans is going to be part of their defense, whether they're going to throw a lot of spaghetti on the wall, try to discredit the whole investigation. And they were somewhat helped by Fiona Hill's testimony when Jim Jordan asked her, is this a rabbit hole? And she seemed to say that Chris Steele and you were chasing rabbits down holes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Dr. Hill, during, uh, during your deposition, I asked you, was Christopher Steele's dossier a rabbit hole? Do you remember, remember the answer you gave to that Yes, question? I thought it was a rabbit hole. Yeah, and you also said a couple pages later in the deposition or in the transcript that I have here of your deposition that you thought he got played. Is that fair? That is fair, yes. I was struck by a number of things you said in your statement, a number of things I thought were right on the target. And one, one was on page seven. You said this, President Putin and the Russian security services weaponize our own political opposition research. And that is exactly what happened in 2016. Exactly what happened. You called it. You knew it. You saw it. The DNC hired Perkins Coie, who hired Fusion GPS, who hired Christopher Steele, who talked to Russians, who gave him a bunch of dirt, a bunch of National Enquirer garbage that he compiled in a dossier, and our FBI used it. So what do you make of that? You know, again, what what is a rabbit hole in that context? I'm not really sure what she means. If it means trying to get to the bottom of something, that's what Chris was doing. And that's what we've been doing ever since, before and since. But, but, so, would, you, but would, would you concede that it was maybe – because it was raw data, that it was never really meant to be – a sacrosanct document Absolutely. as truth, this, right? This is not the Bible. This is not the tablets. When right. we were, not. we were hor- This was part of the the whole, you know, explosion. Was we were horrified when it was published because it's not the kind of thing that we do. I mean, we do these really nerdy papers that are footnoted and full of public records, and they have annexes and things like that. And like, this is just not what we do. So it's a it's as Peter puts it. it ironically, we're best known for something that we abs- we never really do. And I think maybe a good place to finish really is as the impeachment ramps up and there's an impeachment trial, the Republican response is going to be focusing on the people behind what they call the Russia hoax. And you two are two major players in that. And what are you expecting? How do you think it'll play out? How will you respond? I mean, I think that they, they can't let go of this because it's really one of the few ways that they can delegitimize the whole thing and, and distract attention, which is if the, if the origin of all of this is a political opposition project, then therefore everything is tainted. So they will absolutely not let it go. What's uh, – you know, obviously three years in, a lot of people now know that Donald Trump doesn't tell the truth and that he's uh, inclined to do the very things he's accused of. So I think that gets harder and harder, at least in the sort of non-Fox News propaganda zombie world. Um, I think what – I mean, you know, we decided to write this book before any of this stuff broke. So um, it's a weird coincidence that our book is coming out in the middle of impeachment. Um, Having said that, you know, the message that we're delivering now is if you guys lie about us, if you go out and you tell fake stuff about us – um, we're going to fire back. We're going to talk to – we're going to make public statements and we're going to out you for lying. OK. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Peter. 
That's it for today. Thanks to our guests, Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritsch. Their new book, Crime and Progress Inside the Steele Dossier, The Fusion GPS Investigation of Donald Trump, is out today. Thank you for to our listeners. Please be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a rating or a comment. Thanks to our producers, Trevor Hastings, Caitlin Fulmer, and Emily Wachowski. For Matt Mosk and myself, be sure to listen next week for another episode of The Investigation. 